Okay, so two weeks ago, <laughs> spoke about the shoes, and, uh, and loads of you came and put your shoes down the front here. That was a bit spontaneous, and, <laughs> and God works like this. He doesn't, um, when, when I speak, he never tells me what I'm going to be saying until a few days before, and uh, I've got used to that now. I used to prepare weeks ahead to reduce the nerves, and, uh, and God used to tell me a few things that were good for me to know. And I'd write them all down. And it was almost like doing a Bible study, really. And then two days before I was due to speak, I'd throw it all away. And he'd go, this is what I'm saying. So um, God is the God of today. He's, uh, he's also the God of history and the God of the future. Ooh. Okay, had a little moment there. Yeah. <laughs> Am I back on? Okay. <laughs> no walking around. Oh, this. Keep talking. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Okay, <laughs> so, um, but he's a God of today, and he, and he speaks today, and he, sp- he spoke to me this morning about what he's going to do this morning, and um, so I'm going to start off by taking you back to my childhood. Um, never shared this one before, so we'll see where this goes. 1982, I think it was, uh, in, a, in a little town called Greystones in Ireland. And I was there, uh, it's just south of Dublin, and we used to go every year. My family and I used to go there, and uh, we would take part in what was called the CSSM and it was a beach mission um, part of the brethren thing that I was involved in and um, one of the things we did was we did what's called a treasure hunt can you hear me okay yeah, yeah okay um, and the treasure hunt involved us getting paired up and we would go out around the town and the leaders on the on the holiday had dressed up in disguise uh, in those days there's no such thing as health and safety you just go for it so um, so we used to go out and you had to walk up to people that you thought were in disguise, um, if you didn't know who they were, and you had to ask them a question. And if they responded with the right answer, then you knew you'd found a clue, and they would give you a clue. So the question we had to ask was, have you got a ferret up your nose? <laughs> we were just kids, we thought nothing of it. Uh, it, was <laughs> it was after the first few mistakes, um, the wrong people that I realised it was quite offensive to some people and um, being Ireland people just went no no anyway you know and walked away um, <laughs> eventually you'd find the right one and they had to say the response I remembered this was yes I keep it there because it's warm um, so that was the answer we were looking for it took me ages to remember that but they, yeah we used to go around and we were looking for these ladies that went on all day uh, and it was one of those things where you never knew who'd won it was just like you were busy for a day. Uh, and there was treasure all over the town. And we had to be bold. We had to go up to random people. Um, quite often just going about their daily business and insult them, really. Um, <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was a keen evangelist as a kid. <laughs> so never been afraid to talk. And my, my family always said, um, he's got the gift of the gab, that one. You know, so, so it's sort of Irish saying that he's kissed the Blarney Stone and all that sort of thing. He's, he's going to talk. <laughs> They were right. Uh, so I'm going to come back to that later. It is relevant. And uh, um, in the context of what I'm saying today, it's going to be important. So, um, so I had lots of inquiries over the last fortnight. I was in Wales for four days um, in the middle of the last fortnight. Um, I had some amazing times there with God as well. It's great what God does. Um, but after the shoes, I had lots of like messages and uh, inquiries saying, uh, when will the evangelism program be starting? When will the... Um, this team be starting? When will this team be starting? When will we be doing this and this and this? It's all great. 
Um, is there something I can get involved in? Um, well, frankly, no, there isn't. Okay. And it might be shocking uh, as, as a statement. No, there isn't a program uh, in place at the moment. Uh, we don't have one. And what we do have yeah. is an evangelism lifestyle. Amen. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's not about the latest program or, or the way we're going to reach the lost. Um, because we talk about them as the lost. Um, most people don't realize they're lost. Yeah, it's important to realize that. Uh, they're just ordinary people <laughs> going about their daily lives. Uh, and we come along and go, you're lost. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, what I want to try and get across to you is what God wants is for you to be the evangelist. Okay. For you to be the person that brings the message. For you to live the life that tells the message. For you to be the, the example for people to follow. And, and that's really where I'm coming from. So you're not going to get a new uh, revolutionary program out of this. I'm not writing a new book uh, about Steve's method of evangelism. It's, it's merely what God's doing with me right now and, and what I think he wants to do here. Um, so I'm taking you back to Acts chapter 2. You'll be familiar with the verses, I'm sure. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but um, if you're not familiar, this is the day of Pentecost. I'm still getting a bit of echo here, guys. Unless that's a plane. Oh, that's good. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was nervous coming here this morning when they said they were going to blow up the bus station. I thought, it's only like 500 metres over there. So <laughs> I'll, go, I'll preach from that side today, uh, the far side of the building. Um, so all the believers were together in one place. This is Acts 2, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were, and get this, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I don't think this means that everyone's going to speak in tongues, but what I think it does mean is that everyone needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God left no one out. He didn't go into that room and fill up 12 or 11 and leave out one. Or do half of them and not the other half and say, well, you're going to do this denomination and I'm going to do another thing with you. No, he was, he was basically saying, all of you need this to do what I'm asking you to do. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, now, the next few verses from 5 down to 13 talks about who was in Jerusalem at the time. And it was full of the nations of the world. They were all there. The, the civilized world had sent their people to, to Jerusalem. People were there to pray. Uh, people were there to do business. It was the center of the known world, really. Still is, really. Um, some people mocked them. Some people were uh, amazed and astonished, it says, saying, all these people come from the same place. How can they speak my language? And I'm from a little backwater over there. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. People were perplexed. But this was God's perfect timing. You know, sometimes uh, we want to push ahead with our vision for what God needs to do. And we have our own vision, our own program that we want to implement, and we try and force it on God. And we go, I believe that God wants to do this in Northampton, so I'm going to push this program until it absolutely kills me, and, and I'm going to keep pushing that until everyone understands that I'm right. And actually, God goes, no, not my time. God moves in seasons and waves, and I've, I've noticed this, that um, I'm only 40, but I've noticed a few waves through my life. And things have changed, and things happened in the past that don't happen now. I don't always understand why. 
but he does things in his time. And at this moment in Jerusalem, he knew what he was doing. Uh, By pouring out his spirit on those 12 assembled there, he knew that everybody was going to hear about it in the known world. It's God's perfect wisdom. It wasn't just a fluke. (laughs) He knew what he was doing. So Peter goes on to stand up. Uh, He says he lifted up his voice and addressed the people. And he he preaches a very powerful sermon, uh, which is in Acts 2, which you can read. Then we get to verse 37. And we get to the point where Luke recording this says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is what God does. When he gets an anointed preacher in front of people that need to hear a message, it's cut to the heart time. It's God's time. And he does something amazing. Uh, And you'll have seen it. If you've ever been to a a Billy Graham event or something like that, you'll see how God used that man, still does, and his son, Franklin, and and how he's moved through people like that to cut to people's heart in many thousands at a time through an anointed preach. Well, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? You know, they'd never done an appeal to the altar before. They didn't know, you know, what to do. What do we do? You know, it would have been one of those moments. But Peter, again, and Holy Spirit's power says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice he puts that in there as well. He knew what was going on. God revealed it to him, and he was revealing it to everyone else. You need the Holy Spirit. You know, they'd been believing in Jesus for a long time. They'd known him. They'd walked with him. They'd spoken with him, hugged him. They, they had cried tears with him. They'd been through amazing adventures with him, but they still were scared. Because the reality is the world is quite a scary place to share your faith. And you can get mocked, you can get um, ostracized, you know, you can get all sorts of abuse for it. And in some parts of the world, it's far worse than it is here. You don't just get a little bit of hassle for it, you lose everything. He knew that the Holy Spirit was needed. And then he says in verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Praise God, that's us. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And we think it's bad now. You know, it's, uh, it was pretty bad then too. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So that's the power of an anointed man um, preaching under God's blessing to a people that needed to hear a message. 3,000 people saved like that, baptized and into the kingdom straight away on the first day, and all different nationalities. Then what happens next is really interesting. And when I was reading this, I thought, this is actually where we need to go. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, so church, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. So this is where it goes from being, I've found a new religion, to, whoa, something amazing is going on here. People are getting healed. People are actually not needing to go to the physician. People are just coming and being prayed for by the elders, and they are healed. Amazing things were happening and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together, had all things in common. They shared things. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's upside down. That's not the way the world works. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So everybody loved these guys. And the Lord, and this is the, the key bit really, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And this is where God said to me, day by day, Steve. And I went, what? Day by day, yeah. He went, day by day. And I thought, ah, <laughs> there's something I've missed here as well, because I thought you had to set up an evangelistic event to get everyone saved. I thought we had to have a meeting, <laughs> call everyone together maybe once a month, and then God will do it. No, God says day by day. The church should be growing tomorrow, the day after that, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we come in and look what God's done. That's his heart for us. It's not that we're going to set up a program or an event and have, have a big meeting and thousands of people are going to walk in because, frankly, they're not. People don't go to church because they've got an idea of what church is. So that's where we're going today. So pressing on. Normal Christianity should be so exciting that you can't help but tell your friends. And I've preached to myself too. <laughs> you can't help telling people. Like when you first get saved. Do you remember? When you first get saved, all the emotion and the tears, whatever it was like for you, and you just want to tell someone. You just, you, you, the first thing you do is go, I can't believe what's just happened to me. You, know? you just want to share that, don't you? You want to tell somebody. You want to tell your neighbors. You want to tell your friends. And that's how God wants it to stay. Jesus never had a crusade. Well, he didn't, did he? That was man's idea. It was horrible, actually. The Crusades are a shameful event. Um, he never ran an Alpha course. Um, not that I'm knocking an Alpha course. It's a great way to introduce people to God. But most of the time, Jesus was trying to get away from people. If you actually read the Gospels, Jesus was trying to find a quiet place to pray. And thousands of people followed him and said, please pray for us. People needed him and he took compassion on them. He was so loving. He is so loving that he couldn't resist but help. And he gave and gave and gave to the point of complete exhaustion because he, he was motivated to. So the kingdom of God is within you and it's up to you to let it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So then we come to this whole thing about being in the kingdom of God. And what does this mean? Well, again, God said to me, we need to understand that we are citizens and subjects of this nation, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, the United Kingdom, and we are also citizens and subjects of the kingdom of God, which is the greater kingdom. I don't think the Queen would mind me saying that. She believes too. And we're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've any idea what an ambassador is, but they're a representative of royalty, a representative of a state, of a nation or a, a set of nations. And we are representatives of, of our king, the king of kings. That gives us special status in his eyes. So let's go back to the word and let's go um, back to 1 Peter 2. If you have your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 9 onwards. I read this before when I spoke. And this is about who we are as ambassadors. If you don't believe me. <laughs> you know, a lot of people go through their Christian lives and they go, oh, poor old me. Got so many problems. I'll just have to keep working at it. I better not tell anyone I'm a Christian in case it brings dishonor to his name. That's a really defeated attitude. 
And we need to be better than that. This is who God says you are. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, when you're saved, you know you've received mercy. I certainly do. I know that I needed it. My sins. In verse 11 and 12, he talks about abstaining from the passions of the flesh. He talks about integrity. He talks about how important it is for Christians, followers of Jesus, to live lives that reflect well on him. And that comes in our decisions day by day, in our, our omissions and saying sorry for things that we do wrong. It's important. And in verse 13, check this out. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is really good advice to them. Basically, they were going, right, we've become Christians, we're followers of the way. Shall we rise up? Shall we take on the emperor? Shall we knock down Rome? They were that confident. They knew they had something special. And what Peter says to them is, no, honor the emperor. Be good. <laughs> Go around doing good things for people and earn honor from, from people around you. They'll all want to join you. How do you take down an empire? From within. God knew that. Fighting it wasn't going to help. And if we go right down in the same chapter, right down to verse 24 and 25, as Peter says about how Jesus was a servant and about how you might suffer for your faith, right down in verse 24, the second half, he says, by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Don't you want to tell someone about that? You know, over in Wales the other day, driving the minibus down a a narrow lane, probably shouldn't have been on it really, but there we go, I was lost. (laughs) Big, wide minibus, narrow lane, sheep in the middle of the road. It's got out of its field, it's lost. Sat there for about five minutes before it decided to move. And I thought, that's how God feels about us sometimes. It's like he sees us in the road, about to be hit by everything as we go astray. And then he comes in, he just whisks us off. And he goes, come on, I'll help you. He said, that little stray sheep spoke to me. (laughs) And it it was missing its lamb as well. Fortunately, it was reunited soon. What I want to say to you this morning is we're the agents of change in this town. There's lots of people, politicians, civic leaders, people who want to get involved with what we're doing actually, in this church and in other churches in the town, in the soup kitchens, in the, the food banks. People are trying to get on board with what the churches are doing because the church is doing things. We're the agents of change. We, we need to expand that and keep going with it. We're not spectators. We're the doers. <laughs> we're the ones doing stuff. So I've got 10 minutes to tell you three things that God wants to do. And uh, I'm going to start off by taking you back to the 90s now, 10 years on from 
previous story. And we're all singing a song called History Makers in church. A song written by Martin Smith. I've never stopped singing it. I don't think he wants us to either. He still talks about it. We are history makers, this generation. There's going to be history made through us. And God wants to do, this is point one, (laughs) everyday revival. Okay, we talk about revival like it's an event. And there are awakenings and there are revivals that take place. And we give them a name, like the Welsh Revival. But God wants everyday revival to break out. And that happens in here. And I'm pointing at myself because it happens in me as well. Um, he wants, uh, we, we talk about Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, apparently when we were in Bradford, they said people come on busloads to, to go and lay on his grave. How ridiculous is that? The man died years ago. He's not there anymore. He's in heaven celebrating with God, the God he served. And people go and lie on a bit of dirt because they want to be like Smith. Sorry, no offense if you've done it. But I, I do find it weird, actually, that God is the God of today, and we're going, oh, I need to be like him, and he's going to lay on his grave. No, you won't find anything on his grave. And he would have told you that. God wants millions of Smith Wigglesworths in this country. Amen. You know, he was an apostle of faith. He did some amazing things. Uh, I'm not taking anything away. But, you know, there was one story I read years ago where he was on a train, and... Because he was on the train, everybody was convicted by the Holy Spirit. This was how close to God he was. He carried the anointing. He got on the carriage and people went, ooh, what was that? He sat down. He started to read his Bible, as he did. It's the only book he ever read. He was illiterate, but he could read the Bible. And, and people fell to their knees and said, how can we be saved? Please tell us. And he led them all to the Lord on the train before he got to the next station. You know, he was, he was great. He was, he was doing it because God told him to do it. He obeyed. He had faith. He had great faith. But there should be millions of them. Bringing it up to date, there's a guy called Jason Westerfield you may have heard of who's um, over in the States. Came out of Bethel originally, but um, well, he actually got saved in a vision. He was trying to get into the film industry. He wanted to be an actor or a producer or anything in Hollywood. He was in the Hollywood area in his apartment and he was crying out for something. He was a bit down. And Jesus appeared to him. No church was involved. No other Christians were involved. Jesus appeared to this guy and said, it's time. It's time for you to follow me. He was called out of his life. He started to, he got hold of a Bible and he started to read it and he started doing what Jesus did, going around praying for people. He's still doing it now. Uh, He turned up at a church and he couldn't believe it because no one else was doing miracles. And he he said, I've been a Christian for a while now and I've, I've had all these people healed. Uh, and amazing things have happened. You know, these people had their legs grow back, and, uh, and it's been wonderful. And God's been really glorified, and lots of people got saved. But um, what's going on here? <laughs> and he turned up in the church, and they were like, what, what do we do with this guy? He's living it. It's kind of a challenge. Um, so he's still going around doing that kind of stuff, and he's mentioned in a lot of Bill Johnson's books, the stuff he's done in California. Um, God wants millions of those. That's how we need to be. You need to have an adventure with God, not get boring. Your Sundays and your weekdays are all part of the same story. Amen. Your life is a story. It's an epic. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those big films like Gladiator or, or even the Jesus film itself. You know, these epic films. Lawrence of Arabia. These films that were made and they sort of stand alone in time. You think, wow, that's an epic. Well, every life in this room this morning and everyone that's listening afterwards... Your life is an epic. 
and it's got a hero in it. And the question is, what's the story like? Who's the hero? Who saves the day? Here's my questions. Please don't feel condemned. Is Jesus your closest friend? Is he? Is Jesus your confidence when you're scared? Is Jesus your courage in difficult situations? Is he your counsellor when you don't know what to do? Is he your comfort when you're downhearted? Or do you get by on your own? Do you do anything you want to and, and you'll prove it? You'll show it. Do you run away when it gets scary? Because that's safer. Do you avoid facing up to difficult situations? Do you have the attitude that I can find the answer to everything I need on the internet or somewhere else? Do you say, my friends say this about me, so it must be true? How about anything that causes me pain can be shoved under the carpet where no one can see it? Or how about my faith can be camouflaged as needed? There's some strong statements there. I'm not trying to condemn you this morning. What I'm trying to do is make you aware of the lies that we believe about ourselves. Jesus wants to be your closest friend. He wants to be your confidence, your courage, your counsellor, your comfort. He wants to be all those things to you. But so often, we either get self-reliant and we go, no God, I can do this, I've got this, leave it with me. Because we're skillful. Or we're the opposite and we go, I can't do anything, I'm useless. And we just collapse in a heap and get depressed and drink or whatever it is that we go to. These are the things, the traps we fall into. But our God is a jealous God. It actually says in Deuteronomy 4, 23 to 25, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He will wait. He won't hurt you. He won't, he won't come after you and teach you a lesson. That's what we would do, probably. He'll, be, he'll wait for you. And he'll wait as long as it takes. Because he's so loving and so faithful, he'll never stop. And he'll never give up on you. He longs for a living relationship with you. Well, I've kind of realized this now. And, and I'm starting to do the stuff I'm talking about. And it's so good. This week, uh, away in Wales, I took a lady with me who helped me out as a leader, and we had an amazing conversation um, about Monday, I think it was, I don't know what day it was, Monday or Tuesday, sat in a minibus uh, on top of a hill trying to spot some teams of teenagers walking through the countryside. And we were sat there, and it was boring. And I started telling her about this church, and she couldn't believe it. She'd been to a church once. She said, I just ended up crying. And I said, that'll be God. Yes. Yes. You know, it's... Bless her. We, we had a, an amazing conversation. She's going to come one week. She says she will. I invited her. She's a bit nervous. <laughs> you see, that's the reality. If you're on your own out there and someone goes, come to my church, it's like, whoa, that's a bit scary. It's a bit like going to a gym for the first time, if you've never done that. It's like, well, people are going to stare at me. You know, It's like, what's it going to feel like? So we'll keep working on it. Uh, again, on Friday morning, a colleague of mine turned up in my office um, and he's just a friend, really. And he just wanted to share a few frustrations he's got. It's the first thing in the morning, about half past eight. I wasn't really in the mood for a counselling session. 
got to work on a Friday morning, I've got things to do. And he comes in and goes, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. Sit down and talk. He's got to be alert for these moments. And within five minutes, he's in floods of tears. This is a grown man in floods of tears telling me how his mum's in hospital and he's making three trips a week and he doesn't know what to do. It's Mother's Day coming up and he's been told this at work. He's been told that. And it was, do you know what? I just want to encourage you. I told him why he turns up to work. And I said, because you change lives. And I, I gave him some encouragement. And he was able to keep going. But that's an amazing breakthrough in my relationship with that guy. You know, that's, that's something we never would have had that conversation in the past. Um, so, God sets us up. Not always to our timing, but in his timing. Second way God wants to use us, and I'm rushing now, is through dreams and visions and the supernatural. Uh, and this is something that I've had experience of too. Um, yeah, in, in Joel 2, 28, you know the, you know the words, and it probably you've read it before. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit. And I'm living in that. Okay, and I know that God speaks to me. I had a very vivid dream as a, as a student. We had a, a, a mission at the CU, at uni, and we had about 150 copies of Luke's Gospel left after the mission. And they were sat in a cupboard downstairs in my house, shared house. And I had a very vivid dream. It was like a vision, really. I still remember it now, where I was handing them out. And when I woke up, it was like God said, now, now go and do it. Okay, you've had the rehearsal in your dream. This is what's going to happen. Go and do it. And I was full of confidence because I'd, I'd dreamt it. I knew it was going to happen. So I got my rucksack out and I filled it with Luke's Gospels, went up to the campus, and I stood on campus for a couple of hours on a corner and various other places, dishing them out. My entire course came past. I had 50 people on my course. 49 of them walked past me that morning. It was weird. 20,000 people at that uni, but they all came past. It was, a, it was an outing of me as a Christian. For many of them, they were like, what are you doing? Uh, I'm giving out Luke's Gospels. Why? <laughs> Next question. Because God loves you. Okay. They all took them because it was me. <laughs> they knew me. I then had a few left, and God said, just go and look for people. So I went up to the library, which was around the corner, and I put them on the desk in front of people that were studying until I had none left. And I went home. And I kind of sat there going, <gasps> can't believe I did that. It was scary. But out of that came an amazing conversation with one of my student colleagues. Um, and he almost got saved. And I'm sure he has by now. It was amazing. God talks to me when I'm walking the dog. Um, yesterday I was walking the dog and the car drove past. And God told me that the man in the car has God's favor on him. I don't know why. I just prayed for him. God tells you things. I prayed for the guy in the car. It was a white car. It was heading out of town. And God just said, my favor's on him. I said, bless him in Jesus' name. And then we kept walking. You know? And God wants to have that relationship with you. God told me when Lydia was being born, our second child, he told me to get to the hospital at 2 a.m. He woke me up. <laughs> it's a long story. I told the lady at work this one. Um, but basically, I was told to go home and wait. If you've ever had kids, you know that feeling, blokes. Um, <laughs> She'll be fine. Leave her here. Off you go. Go home. Don't worry. <laughs> but I, I tried to fall asleep. I woke up at 2 a.m. and God said, go. Go to the hospital now. Go. No, go. Go. Get your shoes on. Go. That kind of feeling. I got in the car. I drove to the hospital at 2 a.m. quite fast. I may have broken the speed limit. Sorry. 
I parked the car and I had such a sense of urgency that I sprinted from the car to the labour ward. And when I got there, the midwife said, where have you been? We've been trying to ring you, we need you here. And I said, oh, uh, I just knew I had to come. They said, ooh, spooky. <laughs> yeah, because people don't understand. And I said, it, it, it'll be God. And they went, oh, right, yeah, get in. <laughs> Stand there, be quiet, hold a hand. <laughs> Bless her. Yeah. There's treasure everywhere. The reason I shared that little story at the beginning about greystones is that there is treasure all around us, all the time. God has put deposits of gold in everybody, and we have to go and find them. You know what? Sometimes it is a convicted murderer on death row, and there's gold in that heart. It's hard to see it, and it can be shocking. I know you, and I've got no idea, I'm sure, about some of the people that Anne meets and what they've done in their lives. But God still loves them, you know. That heart still precious to him and he wishes it would come back or it could be the really nice old lady at the bus stop who just seems really nice but she's in as much danger as anyone else of missing out on Jesus he loves every heart every single heart even the ones we can't stand the final type of um, evangelism I want to share about is the fire evangelism <laughs> and, uh, and this is where we started with Peter speaking to all those people and the 3,000 got saved. And there is a time and a place for it. And God tells us when to do it. And there will be that time. That's the afterburner evangelism I've preached about before. Yeah. God works through those two. We need to be willing. We need to walk and run with Jesus when he says to go. We need to listen and we need to watch what's going on around us. We need to act not just think, act. And we need to go. We need to trust and obey. It's an old hymn. I actually wrote it down as obey and trust, and I thought I would recognize that, trust and obey. Turned it around. I thought it might be more familiar to you. We need to trust God, and then we need to obey him. And he won't let you down. He won't send you off on a wild goose chase. Nothing is wasted. And we need to demonstrate through our lives and share about Jesus. Now, there's lots more I could say. I'll put the notes on the internet. Um, I'm going to give you some homework as a good teacher. Always set homework. You've got to write this in your planners. Okay. <laughs> and we'll be checking next week. We're marking it. You know. So, <laughs> no, we won't really. Um, what I'm going to ask you to do is just a simple challenge. Tell one person this week. Don't care who it is. Um, even if you just want to practice on another Christian, <laughs> that'll be fine. But tell one person this week about your faith in Jesus simply, and why you follow him. You never know. It might just spark something in them where they get, they get a lot more questions and want to know more and want to come here, see what you see. And you never know. You might just get a little bit addicted to it because it gets easier. It gets easier as you do it. The more you do it, the more confident you get because you think, yeah, I've heard pretty much every challenge there is now. So go for it. Have a go at that.